Welcome to the You Are Not A Frog summer replays. Over the summer, I've decided to smoke what I'm selling and take a proper break. So I'm re-releasing some of our earlier podcast episodes recorded pre-COVID and I think they're perfect for a listen to help you reflect and reset before a busy autumn. We'll post links to the original show notes site where you can find out more. So please take some time to look after you this summer. And we'll be back and raring to go in September with loads of new guests and some old favourites. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Please note this episode does contain swearing. Now, I am really excited about this episode of the podcast. This is where I interviewed the best-selling author, John Parkin, or John C. Parkin, and he wrote a book called Fuck It, The Ultimate Spiritual Way. I read this over the summer, and then I met John at a business retreat that I went on in September. The book really struck me. It lifted a lot of the weight off my shoulders about things I'd been worrying about. And I thought that it would be really useful for listeners to the podcast just to listen to how the fuck it principle might work in their lives. Because one of the questions I asked John when I met him in September was, how does fuck it apply when actually there are lots of things in our work and our lives that we can't actually say fuck it to? So this discussion is really, really interesting. It brought up lots of things that were brand new principles to me. Um, and we start off with thinking about actually, why do we need to use the words fuck it in the first place? So just a little bit of warning to our listeners, there will be a little bit of swearing on this podcast, but I think you'll agree that it's for a very good reason. So I hope you enjoy it. So it's brilliant to have with me here, John C. Parkin. Is that C really important bit of your name, John? (laughs) Being a C is a really important bit, but nobody ever knows what it stands for, but it stands for Charles. Okay. Yeah, but nobody ever knows that. But I think it's important because I haven't got doctor in front of my name like you have. So I think what those of us that don't have a doctor in front of our names put an initial for the American audience. Ah, it's for the Americans. It's much easier to get than either medical training or a a PhD. (laughs) Just having a, a middle name and putting in putting an initial. <laughs> it sounds almost as good, you know. It's a bit of gravitas, isn't it, John? C. It Park. is, yeah. yeah. It really is. It really works well. I recommend it to anybody <laughs> who hasn't got a doctor in front of their name. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So we're here to talk about your books. Were the original fuck it books, I'm told. And how many books have you written now? Written is a we've we've got like I think three or four. Okay. Okay. Long written books. I'm, I'm hesitating because a couple of the books are little lines on a page okay. with a drawing. 
And I don't think you can really count that as having written a book. So we've got three or four. Okay, brilliant. And I count them. (laughs) (laughs) On the shelf up there. And I first heard John on a podcast and I thought it was really interesting. So I bought the book, read it on a holiday, much to the shock and horror of my children. (laughs) He was saying, mother, you can't read something with that in the title. And I was saying, oh no, darlings, it's really important and it's not what you think it is and all that sort of thing. So, So John, first of all, can I just ask you, why the title? Why fuck it? We wrote the book originally, I wrote the book originally, after we'd been using this phrase and then we shared it with some people. We were teaching a retreat and we gave the advice to somebody who was very stressed. It was a, an English person living in Paris. She was really stressed out. And we said we advised her to say fuck it to all the stuff that was concerning her. And this really worked for her. So we started to share it then. We, we were saying it. I mean, I'm not one who swears massively. But in the stressful times that we were having, and this is about 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago now, we found that we were saying fuck it quite a bit to things, things that were kind of heavy and that we needed to let go of. And we realized that it it was quite an interesting way of letting go and relaxing. And nobody really talked about this thing as some form of relaxation technique. So that's how we started. But it's interesting to have something that people you know, regard swearing as a bit, you know, it's dirty and uh, you shouldn't really swear much. That actually this form of swearing and maybe quite a lot of forms of swearing can actually help you relax. And rela- relaxation is almost always a good thing. <laughs> so so that, that swearing could be a good thing was a really interesting thought. I, I've been trying to think of other phrases you could use and none of them really come close, do they? They don't. And that's the thing about it, because it's from the beginning, really. And we started talking about this in about 2004, I think, in terms of sharing it and teaching and then writing about it. And I was constantly having to say, you know, this is not a gratuitous use of this swear word. It genuinely can help you relax. It genuinely can help you let go of things. It can genuinely help you get perspective. And that's a really good thing. So, yeah, and it's not gratuitous. And since then, there's been various bits of research done about the power of swearing. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, one one example, there's this quite a lot now, but the, the first bit that I read about that came out was from a guy at the University of Kiel. can't remember his name, but I think if listeners just Google fuck University of Kiel, <laughs> uh, they will get the bit of research. Might, they might also wake up their PR department and wonder why people are <laughs> trolling them. Yeah. But, but this bit of research is about how he got... <laughs> it sounds, sounds a rather sadistic experiment, but he got students to put their hand in buckets of ice water and to create pain and to see how long they could keep their hands in the water and withstand the pain doing various things so they I don't what they give them various things to say or think about or whatever I don't I don't remember exactly how they did it but one thing that he gave them to do was to say which is what a lot of us do when we hurt ourselves <laughs> he got mm-hmm. them to say fuck 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 and it was the most effective in the end, pain reliever. They were able to keep their hands in the water for longer. So this became quite a famous experiment because the saying the F word, and they don't know exactly what's happening. They don't, they don't know what, whether it's releasing some, I don't know what, analgesic in the system, but it, it helps relieve pain. And that for me is good enough. It's really interesting that this word is so strong. It has such strong associations with for us that just in that case, it can help us withstand or can relieve pain. So um, shall I mention one other bit of research that I, when I was looking at this, and this is, this is older, actually. The discovery was that when we swear, it comes from a different part of the brain. 
from the normal language. So the normal language, I think, comes from the, I'm not a neuroscientist or a doctor. I'm just a C. Uh, not one of those Cs, <laughs> I'm just a C. So, so, so for those who are more of a scientific bent, excuse my rather naive explanations of these things, uh, simplistic and naive. So the, the idea would be that the language mainly comes from the left brain and that the swear words are coming from the right brain, just swear words. And I loved reading this because we'd said from years ago, without understanding any of, of that, because, you know, the old idea of what the left brain is and what the right brain is, you know, left brain is more logical and right brain is more creative and in the present and open and spiritually connected. So what we used to say using that simplistic model of how the brain works was when we say fuck it, it's like walking over a bridge from the left brain to the right brain. It's like walking over a bridge from the side of us that's constantly concerned and worried and thinking, you know, worried about the future and dwelling on the past and very logical and anxious maybe. And walking over this bridge into the side of our brain, that's what I imagine. I imagine, you know, dancing, being, you know, relaxing and lying back and being very creative and playful and, and jokey, which is what I'm, I'm more like when I'm relaxed. And that's what it, so that's what it can do, fuck it. That is such a good explanation. Yeah, you're, you're thinking all these things through logically. And actually, yeah. when you say fuck it, what you're doing is letting your creative side, the bit of you that's present, the bit of you that probably knows what you need, maybe more than the log- logical bit, just to take over and go, you know what, this, this is what's important or this is what's not important. Absolutely. Oh, I never thought of it like that. And that makes perfect sense. I always, you know, in consultations, if, you know, patients are getting upset with you and, and they suddenly start swearing, then actually that's a really good sign that they're no Could longer... <laughs> Well, it's a good sign to the doctor that they're now no longer in rational, logical, sort of telling you symptoms. They then tips over into the emotional. And actually, that's the point where probably things have to take a step back and you have to go, actually, now, maybe we shouldn't be having this conversation. You know, I can see that things are getting a bit, well, you're being frankly very offensive. So we're not going to take this conversation any further. And, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? So tell me the whole fuck it principle. How would you describe that? What is it exactly? To kind of continue that thought, really, if you don't mind, let's take that that simplistic idea of the brain. And I've, I've spoken to people who know how the brain works, and it is a simplistic summary of how the brain works. But let's stick with it almost like a metaphor. So there's the left brain and the right brain, the left brain, which is more logical and past and future and planning and normal language and the right brain, which is more relaxed and open and present and playful and creative. Most of us spend most of our time in left brain, especially as grown-ups. So when we're children, we're mainly right brain or alpha frequency in the brain is that generally, whereas for adults, it's beta frequency. So, so <laughs> So this difference in state, so as children, we're more, and we, we see that as kids, and kids are more open and playful and present. And as adults, we're a lot more kind of worried and thinking about this and planning that and logical. So what we're after as adults is to get more balance in our lives from solely being in that left brain state to being more relaxed and open and more right brain state. And that's the problem. It's, it's mainly that we're not in we don't have a balance and so we try to do it you know we desperately try to relax we do some yoga we we go to we watch a movie we have a drink whatever we do to try to relax and go a little bit into the right brain we try to do it but it's it's hard because a lot of the way society is structured now and our lives are structured we're 
thrown back into this left brain thinking. So essentially, fuck it is one tool and a very quick tool that we can use to jump over and jump into the more relaxed thing. Because it's unique, as well as being unique in its power in our language, it's unique in what it points to. Because when we say fuck it, it points to the fact that we're worried and stressing about too many things, that we're regarding things as too important. So when you say fuck it, ah, you go fuck it. What you're saying is that thing that's stressing me can't matter as much as my brain at the moment is perceiving it to matter. So that's part of how fuck it works. You know, we're, as adults, we are burdened by a whole range of stuff. We're concerned about a whole range of stuff. And I talk about basically life being too meaningful, you know, in in this kind of existential, the potential existential horror of things not meaning anything in the end. We create massive amounts of meaning and a series of meanings and a a vast convoy of meanings in our lives until our lives are so meaningful that any of those meanings that start to go wrong or potentially can go wrong causes stress. So it doesn't have to be so meaningful. (laughs) We can just relax a bit more and give up this kind of, it's so important and sit back and that is fuck it. Wow. And so how has that helped you to deal with various sort of stress in your life? My story really is of being, uh, which is pretty relevant for your audience, I think, is being sick (laughs) from very early in life. So from the age of about three, I suddenly became allergic to pretty much everything. I had very serious allergies. I had very serious asthma and eczema when I was a child. So I spent a good amount of time in hospital and then, you know, ups and downs. And Mm. I saw specialists when I was young and I was better for quite a while. But then in my early adulthood, I was not particularly well. So I was, you know, I was coping, I was managing, I was working, but I wasn't well. So from an early age, really, from, you know, whatever, 16, 17, 18, I started to recognize that stress was making it worse, making my illnesses worse. And so from when it seems like a a young age now, I was very interested in alternative health, relaxation, uh, kind of the, the soft martial arts, so Tai Chi and Qigong meditation so from yeah very young really I was interested in that to help me calm down because in the end I mean what was the way I saw it and see it is that the allergic response is your body looking at what are actually should be benign forces and treating them as the enemy (laughs) so the the body's kind of overreacting to stuff it shouldn't be and so I suppose we're all doing that in many ways we're you know we're exhibiting an emergency and stress response to being late to a freaking meeting, you know, and that's and that's so that's what we're that's what we're talking about with fuck it, getting things in perspective. So I've great experience in my body overreacting to things that it shouldn't really be reacting to, and they're gonna, you know, the friendly forces. So there was a lot of collateral damage and friendly fire and like going on in my body. And what I realized, you know, really from really early was that I needed to find ways to relax and let go and not take things so seriously and not get so bothered about things and not worry about things so much. You know, I come from a, a long line of, of warriors. What warriors? It's <laughs> with an O rather than an A. It'd be nice to be the A, but it's mainly the O. I should call myself John O. Parkin instead, and it's the O of worry. Well, you're a, a warrior. A warrior. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was dealing with, really, mm. yeah. I think... You know, so many of us are warriors. And I think in the sort of jobs 
that we're in, sort of to worry is almost part of your job. I love the way you described allergies as your body overreacting to stuff it shouldn't be overreacting to. And, yeah. and actually that is so true in life, overreacting yeah. to, yeah, being late to that meeting or that extra yeah. patient request, which is just sort of yeah. the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. But going back to this thing about meaning, it does seem a little bit counterintuitive, even though it works. And I can testify to it works because I read the, the fuck it book on holiday. When my, that was when my children were very upset about seeing it on my sun lounger. And I know that you, in the fuck it book, you talk about having quite young twin boys at the time and being worried about their behavior in public. And at one point yeah. you thought, oh, just fuck it. And by saying that, it just sort of released all the the worry and angst about it so I tried that my children were not being particularly well behaved in the restaurant and I thought right okay I'm going to try it because I was getting all you know sit down and don't fill up your plate till you've eaten that and you know can't you just behave and I just thought oh fuck it and as soon as I said fuck it I became much nicer and strangely my children became much nicer they actually started to behave yes amazing isn't it how does that work (laughs) Well, I think the effect of relaxation, is, which is what you're pointing out there, relaxation has a tremendous effect on us and on the world and on our lives. And I know we're kind of more in the, if we're in the medical, physiological thing, I think we all know what stress can do to the body and to our minds. And the thing that I've studied most of is the Eastern, you know, bits of Eastern, the Eastern medicine, but more the Taoist ideas from things like Tai Chi and Qigong and little bits of about how the principles behind acupuncture, where the idea is, you know, you've got, it's stress. And if you're talking about energy in the Eastern medicine, the idea is that the, for health, simplest idea is that for health, energy, the energy in the body should flow. And for, for health in your life, for, the, for your life to work, the energy in your life needs to flow. And and it's, it's when we block the energy that illness arises and we block the energy through stress and, you know, extreme emotions. And we know that. We know that when we're stressed, there's a whole lot of blocking and getting stuck going on. So from both sides, this is the West and the East. Maybe this is the left and the right brain as well. But from both sides, well, we know that stress is no good for us on both sides. We know we know how harmful stress can be. But what we don't often talk about in the West so much is, yeah, I shouldn't get stressed, but we don't talk about the astonishing power of relaxation on us. And that's for healing, yes. And that's what things like Qigong are about. They're about the healing power of relaxation and, and, you know, switching the nervous system and just everything that relaxation does. But relaxation has this massive effect in our lives full stop. So I relax and people around me relax. It's all, I mean, so it's, it's, it's almost as simple as that. And that's kind of what was happening yeah. for you. You went, fuck it, you relax. The kids relax. Oh my God, they're behaving better. <laughs> Good of thought. <laughs> it's a magic trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that all adds up as well with the, you know, if you just look at physiologically what happens when we're stressed, we have high circulating cortisol and we're in this heightened flight or freeze response the whole time, with all this adrenaline going around our, around our body and all our, our thinking becomes very black and white. And it's yeah. very, very difficult to be creative yeah. in that zone. And I guess my observation is what we tend to do in the West, and I'm just maybe speaking for myself here, is that in order to relax, we go to the unhealthy relaxation type things. So, for example, gin and wine, for example, you know, you go to the fridge after a hard day and just pour yourself a very large glass of wine or, or we sort of pursue leisure, maybe doing lots of competitive sports or setting us targets to run a marathon and all that sort of thing, which is great. But 
maybe not relaxing. You're absolutely right. I mean, the almost all the things we go to for relaxation aren't particularly good for us. <laughs> you know, we used to have to work to go to a, a smoky pub, drink lots and probably smoke. That was the way to relax. But I mean, I mean now, yes, people are still drink drugs, overeating sugary things, fatty things. That's what we do to feel better. And that's what we do to relax. So once we've recognized the astonishing power of relaxation, both physiologically and in this more, the more gray area of how it works in our lives. And I, I love your example because it shows the effect of relaxation on other people. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. And that can happen in a macro scale within our lives. Whereas if we relax more, the whole of life starts to work better. The whole of our lives start to work better. How does that work? Well, we can have a long discussion about that, but, but it seems to work. So yeah, relaxation has massive effects physiologically in our lives. And I can certainly see that as a GP and a doctor. If you are relaxed with your patients, you're going to get much better communication with them, probably better decision making. You'll be getting on with your colleagues much better, but it's really hard to do in a really high pressured environment where you're absolutely overwhelmed with the workload, where actually things, things do matter. It, it would be quite hard saying, <clears throat> fuck it, when you've got like four urgent abnormal blood results that you've, that you've got to deal with. So how can someone use this principle in, in that sort of context? Interesting enough, this week I've been working really hard and I've actually used the expression a couple of times, I'm working like a junior doctor. <laughs> <laughs> or a so GP know, you can now use the phrase I'm working like a flipping GP <laughs> can you yeah okay so I've been working like a, a GP this week uh, <laughs> though certainly we're not the responsibility load there but it, it matters what I've been doing this week I've been doing this launch around something we're doing and if it works lots of people are going to be helped in various ways mainly psychologically so yeah a whole lot of stuff matters in our lives so this is a really good question when people say, well, can I say fuck it to anything? Clearly, we're not talking about saying fuck it to those really important things. And for a lot of people, that would be, well, to the well-being of my children. My children, you know, helping my children with their homework. Or yes, to patients and their well-being. So what, what fuck it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful expression because it's just a tool to take us in the direction that we decide. So given that my background is a lot around the Taoism, and Taoism really... You know, the idea of Taoism is that you follow the natural way, that you see where something is going and you kind of follow it. doesn't mean the natural way as in being, you know, whatever, not wearing animal, uh, um, whatever, skins or eating, being vegetarian, but just seeing where things are, you know, seeing the night and day of things. And it also, that's where the ideas of yin and yang come from. So, so fuck it, you could say, fuck it can actually go both ways. If you're talking about yin, which is a kind of slower energy and yang, the active energy. So fuck it can be, fuck this, I'm going to do less, I'm going to give up, I'm not going to care as much, I'm going to hang around more, you know, I'm going to downsize, cut my salary, I don't, it's too much, this is too strong, I have to do something about it. That's the kind of giving up, slowing down, cutting things down side of it, the yin side of fuck it, and we can talk about that in a second. But there's also the other side of it, which is fuck it, this is really important to me, I need to prioritise this above everything else, I need to work GP's hours, I need to make sure this happens. So there's both sides of it. So the critical thing is seeing with perspective what's going on. So it's always going to be really important to me, my patient's welfare or my children's welfare. However, I am killing myself with the hours and the stress and the responsibility. 
So how can I use whatever tools it is or whatever tools they are, in this case, fuck it. How can I use fuck it to improve things? What do I have to say fuck it to in order to improve things for me, whether it's to get a better balance or to focus? It might say, fuck it, I can't have, <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but it, it might be, fuck it, I just can't have, I can't continue with that hobby. You know, I, I can't sustain this personal relationship because I am, it's so important to me to have this work. So fuck it is like, in a way, it's, the, it's coaching on steroids and it's self-coaching on steroids. And I mean the steroids bit there. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't just mean the anti-inflammatory bit. I mean, I'm talking about bodybuilders. Anabolic coaching. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So just being able to say, I'm working really hard. These things really do matter. But there's this other thing as well. And fuck it, I can't do that as well. My attention is here at the moment. And That's right. Okay, so it well, enables it could, you to It could choose. be, Rachel, it could be, look, this is, I'm working too hard. I'm, my hours are too long. It's actually not doing me any good. I have to find a new solution. I have to find a way around this. And then along the way, there's going to be various pockets. Maybe, so for example, I'll just give you a little example of this, which is, it's likely that GPs have got at least part of the, there's, there's an archetype or a, an adaptive type in a particular type of psychology that my wife is a therapist in. There are five adaptive types that we develop, the developmental phase. And one is called the helper, or she's a helper. It's, a, it's a people, it's those of us who are very good at helping others, spend our lives helping others. And it can be rooted in this, it's an adaptive behaviour. And it's often hard for people who are very good at helping others to ask for help themselves. So the healing and the, the therapeutic journey for people who are significantly the helper their learning is, or their, their journey is to learn how to ask for help from other people. So somebody, I'm imagining a GP there, they're massively overworked, overloaded and stressed, and they know that they're working too hard and the stress is too much. So it could be, fuck it, I need to ask for help. I need to do something about this. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, uh, fuck it, I don't actually care what other people think of me now. I'm going to ask right. for this. Or ask for that. So it's it's yeah. getting rid of the meaning that you're associating with appearing incredibly successful. That's right. Or accumulating more and more money. Yes. Okay. Which then helps you make the good choices. It helps you then make the choice oh, about right. actually what do, I, what do I want to be doing? You know, what, what am I not doing because something's holding me back? In that case, it might be asking for help. Or yes. even asking for your colleagues to help you out on a on a duty day when you've got too many visits and, and calls. We're so attached to other people not thinking badly of us and not thinking that we're not pulling our way. If we could just say, oh, fuck it, I need help. Yeah. That would and the, be risk, the risk, as you say, what, so what are you risking and what do we think we're risking when we ask for help? Well, we're, we're likely to think that we risk from childhood it's not being loved. Because when we did ask for help, when, when we wanted help when we were kids, we weren't given it. And so, so we thought the only way that we could be loved, loved was to look after ourselves. And then we started helping other people because that was a way that we were valued. So for somebody who's used to helping and giving the help all the time, it can feel extremely risky to ask for help. And so the risk is that people will take their appreciation away. They will take their, their love away. And in this case, they, yes, as you say, they might take their respect away. It's like, oh, God, do they think I can't cope here? So it can be an extremely risky thing to move from our uh, habitual behaviours. But And that's why the main thing here is to develop, which is why the, uh, what did you say, anabolic coaching. 
the, the kind of sound, the sound coaching on here is I just need to look at this stuff. What's going on here? What am I doing that's habitual, that's, that's causing me pain, that's making me so stressed? What here can I change? Why don't I want to change it? Why don't I want to change my hours? Why don't or why can't I change my hours? Why can't I ask for help? And then we're likely to see that there are going to be psychological patterns in there that, that just by realising, just by understanding, they can start to change. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's just, I think one of the main things that holds us back from being able to say, fuck it, I'll just do this or I won't do this, is the fear of what other people are going to think of us. Absolutely. And it's, it's um, you know, amongst the, the general population, so we get a massive mix of people who have been to our retreats over the, the last 15, 16 years, the most common thing that people want to say fuck it to is that thing about what other people think, the fear of what other people think, the, the, the fear of judgment, you know, of, of what we're expected to do, what we should do. And we're going to get that as well a lot from our parents, those the expectations and then from people around us. So saying fuck it to, to what other people think of me. I mean, in the end, there's, there's clearly going to be value. <laughs> there is going to be value amongst the noise. Let's call the outside opinion of me and the view of me as a massive noise. There is going to be some value in there. There are, there are people in the world when they see me doing certain things and quietly take me aside and says, I know fuck it is your thing, John, but I don't know whether you really should be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I don't listen, but I'm going to listen. But generally speaking, and this is, I mean, a lot of the work that we do, Gaia teaches, um, my wife teaches under this kind of umbrella of fuck it, be you. And a lot of what we do is about going back and listening to ourselves. And it's not that we should listen just to ourselves, but we're under this weird idea and we're brought up with the idea that as kids, we should always listen to other people. We should always defer to the adult, to the teacher, to the authority in that, in whatever area it is where we're always having to listen to the. So, I mean, that's in the interest of, of the parents, of the teachers, of the system that we're in. And it's actually within the interest of the system that we exist in as adults, that we listen to the government and the police. And, yes. you know, we listen to the authority and we listen to the doctor, of course. Mm -hmm it's important that we listen to people that are out there as authorities. The problem is it's gone too far in that we listen almost solely to everybody outside and we don't listen enough inside. So again, it's a little bit like the right brain, left brain thing. We need to rebalance a bit by listening more to ourselves. What's right for me? What's important for me? What do I want to do? You know, forgetting about the ideas of, you know, my career and my pension and my, you know, the kind of house or car, or forgetting about what I should look like and, you know, what kind of body I should have and forgetting about what clothes I should wear, what status should I have, forgetting about what qualifications are, you know, forgetting about what my dad wanted me to be and what my mum wanted me to be, forgetting, and on and on and on and on, forgetting about that for a second, what's right for me and what do I want? And in the end, what relaxes me? And being me relaxes me, by the way. Being me relaxes me. Being myself relaxes me. Because when I'm myself, the energy flows. So it's a kind of truth thing. When we tell the truth, we're stronger. It's interesting. One of the coaching questions I like to ask people, which may unlock this for people as well, is what advice would you give to someone else in the same situation? Yes. And quite often the advice is, 
I tend to fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So if you could just ask yourself that question, what, what would I say? You know, if someone in an identical situation, what advice would I give them? But I think the thing that, that strikes me is that actually a lot of us, we've been on the treadmill for so long, we're working so hard, yeah. that finding that time to step back and think, what do I want, is really hard. And secondly, actually, a lot of us don't know what relaxes me. No, that's true. So well, the first thing about time, when we finally do realise that it's probably the most important thing we can do is give time to ourselves more, look after ourselves more, especially if we're helping others. The realisation that my, you know, my well-being, uh, physical and psychological, is critical to my being able to help others. Then we're more likely to put aside time to work with ourselves and, and look at things and, and see it as massively valuable to the rest of our lives to be able to work with ourselves. And there's a second part to what you said as the problem. What, what was it? We don't actually know what relaxes us. Yeah, you're, you're right there. It's strange. And that takes conscious relaxation, which is, you know, a lot of people only really deeply relax when they sleep. And well, as, as you probably know, and many GPs know, a lot of people don't really sleep very well. Yeah. But <laughs> this, for a proportion of the population, the only time they really relax is when they're asleep. So to find conscious ways to relax, so that's not just consciously having a glass of wine, <laughs> but relaxing without those aids yeah. is, is astonishing. And again, it's about, I said the word conscious, about consciousness. When, and it may be a guide, you know, whatever, a meditation teacher or an anabolic coach can help. <laughs> but it's about becoming more conscious. When do I feel most relaxed? What allows me to relax? I mean, my process for teaching, because I've taught relaxation since I was about, 22 to various people well the the original relaxation techniques you you must know this Rachel about the how how it was done is basically copy what people are like when they're relaxed (laughs) that's how it developed when there was first time to do this stuff I think in the 1950s they basically study people who were deeply relaxed and see what symptoms they were exhibiting and see what they said about their state of relaxation and then then they'd go to stress people and say okay do this Imagine that your limbs are feeling heavy. Imagine that your forehead is warm, that you're, that you're feeling warm, you know, that you're feeling some tingling in your hands and that your body is heavy because that's what the relaxed people are feeling. They give that to stressed people and they, and, and they suddenly start to feel more relaxed. So it's, that's a kind of fake it till you make it form of relaxation. So that kind of works as a standard thing. But the way to do it really for individuals is to understand what, what they exhibit when they're relaxed. What uniquely am I like? when I'm relaxed and if all of us can figure that out through you know sitting there (laughs) working it out and relaxing and pondering it for a while then we have our bespoke relaxation method so I'll give you an example I know that when I'm really relaxed I become very sensitive to sound and I start to love sound so you know I'm really really relaxed I adore the sound of the lorry going past on the road I adore the sound of somebody else in the block of apartments flushing the toilet I totally adore it it makes me feel even more relaxed so if I'm stressed I know that one thing I can do to relax myself really quickly is just tune into the sounds and on cue a car goes past outside (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's interesting that it does I was actually just before we came on the podcast I was doing a headspace meditation I'm a big fan of headspace actually I've just started using it and it was beating stress meditation and you sort of 
picture yourself being filled with sort of liquid sunshine or whatever. I mean, a really yeah. simple thing, but it actually it's really helpful. And then you can sort yeah. of flash that exercise. And I know there's people who between patients have developed little rituals. Um, Catherine Hickman, who was on the podcast earlier, was talking yeah. about a squeegee breath where she she sort yeah. of has a way of exhaling the previous patient and in, inhaling something or other. You know, I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, yeah. but it was something that she does just tune into herself because I think it's really difficult to make these decisions or have these fuck it moments while we're in the middle of the stress and I think that's well, maybe when we end up saying fuck it to the wrong things perhaps sometimes I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the times when the stress has been so great that there's been almost nothing else to do but say fuck it right okay yeah. uh, so and that's when I talk about stress and teach about beating sorting stress my, my key point is let's thank stress for what it is. We don't want stress not to be there because stress is a great gift to us if we're willing, willing to listen to it. Right. Stress is yeah. a great indicator that something's not really working. Yeah. Something's wrong. I mean, in its, in its pure core, a case, it's an indication of emergency, the huge stress response that we have in an emergency yeah. where we, uh, we mobilise the adrenaline, cortisol, etc. It's there to react to the thing. But generally speaking, stress is a sign that there's something wrong. <clears throat> and if we listen to it and, and in the end try to reduce that stress, and I agree, things like Headspace are wonderful. And it's good to meditate. It's good to do Tai Chi. It's good to do yoga. It's good to sit around and drink tea. But we should also think about the source of our stress response and wondering whether we should be doing something about it. Now, we may think that that's fine. It's fine. I'm okay with the stress. There's the kind of e-stress idea of the, you know, stress, the stimulation of stress is good for me. It can be good for me physically in certain ways. But generally speaking, for most of us, the stress is not the e-stress. It's the, the boo stress. <laughs> it doesn't do us any good, as all your GPs know. <laughs> I think the problem is, though, that a lot of us feel that to be stressed is normal. Now it's, it's yeah. just to work as to be working as a doctor or a lawyer now is to be permanently stressed. And, yes. you know, I'm, I get really cross with this whole like, busyness idea that we sort of wear that like a badge of honour. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is not a normal physiological state, which is why we're yeah. suffering. So yeah. to use it as a warning light, I like that as an emergency, as a sign that there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But then I guess it's making the decisions while we're in the, the relaxed frame of mind. That I know I'm someone that will throw the entire baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not careful. So don't do things while you're in your fight, flight or freeze zone because you're likely to possibly... Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. And we always say on our retreats, to, you know, don't go back home and resign from your job. <laughs> Give it at least a few days to think about. <laughs> and in that case, they're not, they're not acting from the fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze they're, they're mm. acting from the sudden massive perspective yeah. over their lives. But then when they get to reality, they then have to get that balance right again. I mean, it's the kind of, I've always seen, for example, my illness, I, I've always seen as, a, as the canary in the mine. And I, I think those of us with some form of chronic illness can regard ourselves as relatively fortunate because you know, we're quite sensitive souls. So it, it doesn't take that much of you know, sleepless nights or stress or extreme worry to start affecting my health. And so I tend, I'm, I'm touching, I don't know, I don't know what to touch here as I say this. I'm, I don't know, I'm going to say it anyway. I tend to probably live a more, a more healthy life than I otherwise would because I'm somewhat sensitive. 
and, and that, that's a good thing. So if we can see that these are warning lights and that whatever it is that affects us the most when we're stressed, that is the canary in our mind. The canary is, has just dropped to the bottom of the cage. Yes. This is a warning. Mm. <laughs> Let's not, I don't want to let myself drop to the bottom of the cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what tips would you have for people that are experiencing a lot of stress that have so much on in their lives and they're thinking, I've no idea what, I, I would love to say fuck it to everything, but I can't. Yeah. What advice would you have for them? Well, the recognition that things aren't right. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting situation here for all of us and it's, for very few people, is it as everything in balance and perfectly right. So it's a constant journey of discovery and self-discovery. And I, I see the, the process of self-coaching, self-analysis as, as almost like a detective. So I see my life both in the present and my, the, what I've experienced in the past, I see it like a detective would a case. So like, okay, here's an interesting situation <laughs> seen from the outside. Here I am as somebody as a helper, uh, not looking after myself, running too hard, working too hard, stressing too much. How interesting. So first of all, to get a, try to get a bit of perspective about it, like in meditation, to look at it from the outside and then start to pick it apart. Okay, so what's happening here? Why have I got to this? Is it a necessary part of the job? Are there things I can do? Is the habitual behavior in me that's based on some form of psychological pattern that I can work with change? Do I need to talk to somebody, a coach or a therapist about this? Do I need help within the practice myself? What am I doing differently? What can I do differently with my patients that would change the relationship and the experience for them and for me? If I relax 50%, what would that mean? in my life if I did you know yoga twice a week so I think the main thing is suddenly recognizing the importance of this it's lovely what you said about the fact that we all see it as normal now for GPs and lawyers and professionals to kind of go well the stress and the overwork is normal well it shouldn't be normal we all know that and doctors really should know more than anybody else, really, because they know more than anybody else the effects of stress on the system and the body and that a lot of illness arises from these causes. So it's about, for me, the biggest tip is it's time to take it seriously, step back, have a look, and then you can use, amongst other things, fuck it, to help you care less about what others think or about what the value of this is or about help you to change something, to let go of something or go for something. So fuck it allows movement, basically. Or after, you mentioned the freeze, the, 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 the freeze response. And it is, you know, there's a general, under stress, there's a general freeze response, psychologically, really. So what we're after is movement. And the movement starts by looking at it and going, okay, where do I need to move here? What needs to happen here to, to allow the movement to happen? And doing that, and you pointed this out as well, doing that from a relaxed space rather than a stress space is pretty important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's the real mindset shift, isn't it? Fuck yeah. it. It just it allows you to then move, to know what you need to do and to remove the blockers and the barriers that are stopping you doing that. That's what you're saying. Fuck it to. It's the barriers, isn't it? It's That's the blockers right. in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, John, thank you so much. There was just so much stuff in there that is really, really helpful personally to me and I'm sure be helpful to lots of other people. If people wanted to find out more, how could they find out more about your work, join in with what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera? 
Sure. Well, a simple thing really is to Google fuck it. <laughs> and after you, after you get past one of the songs, you'll start to see bits about us. So we have a website, which is the Fuck It Life. We're on Facebook. We have a lot of followers on Facebook. And the best way to do it really to stay in touch with what we do is uh, to, to join up with us on our site. So we have a how fuck it are you quiz, <laughs> which people can do and then sign up and then they get stuff from us. Of course, read one of the books. We have my original book, which is still the one that, that's the, that sells more than any others. It's called Fuck It, The Ultimate Spiritual Way, which is about the idea that fuck it can be this therapeutic and actually spiritual thing. As I said, we've written other ones that I've written, Fuck It, Do What You Love, which is about understanding what we like and then going and doing it. Fuck It Therapy, which is more the therapeutic side. And the most recent one I wrote was, was pretty much a mantra in the title, which is fuck it, be at peace with life just as it is. And that's about accepting things just as it is, just as they are. Wow. So yeah, brilliant. that's the, that's the fuck it world. Brilliant. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can, people can just click straight through. There's so much more I want to ask you. So will you come back on the podcast another time? And I'd love to. That'd more? be great. Thank you, Rachel. Brilliant. Well, it's been I... lovely to talk. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks then, John. Bye. Thank you, Rachel. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>